Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. I hear her speak. I'm again convicted by the truth that the cross is enough and the love of God is enough. And so just just open your hearts and get ready to receive from the one and only Jen Stockman. <laughs> Thank you guys. <laughs> You guys, was that so good? This is how I fought my battles. Yeah, you feel it? Yes. That, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> you guys, I tease Blake, because I call him hashtag boss Blake now, because he's my boss. Uh, that I would never survive my life if I had Blake's gift. Because, you know, he sees angels and demons, you know, all the time. (laughs) And I had one open-eye encounter thus far in my life. And um, I was pregnant and barefoot in my kitchen. And (laughs) we had this this indoor-outdoor carpet because uh, we were newlyweds and had like $50 a month for food. So um, we... (laughs) I, I was in that like nauseous first trimester stage and I was starving, but everything made me feel like I was going to puke. You know, any ladies out there feel me? And so I thought, I saw out of the corner of my eye, this can of thick gravy stew, you know, like with the artificial meat. And I thought, that is my beacon of hope out here on these nauseous seas. So I, I, I grabbed the can. I opened it up. The wave of just the reality of what is in that can just welled up in my soul. And I puked in the sink. And... I just went to bed starving and thought we just got to put this day to an end. That's, that's the only way to finish it. And Justin was gone. He was at a youth meeting. So I went to bed and I woke up to him coming in the room. And I said, babe, because, you know, I was going to, I'm a war hero now. You know, I am growing your baby and I am a war hero. <laughs> so I was going to tell him my victorious tale of puking in the sink because I'm growing his baby. And I'm like, in a really raspy voice, babe, <laughs> you know, like totally miserable. And he didn't say anything. So I was like, babe. <laughs> and he still didn't say anything. So now I'm an annoyed war hero. So I, I sit up and I'm like, Babe! (laughs) And you guys, it was not my husband at all. I saw with my open eyes a man standing in my room with a lamb around his neck pointing at me. And I was so terrified. I I bolted out of the room as fast (laughs) as fast as I could. And I just sat by the light waiting for my husband to come home. (laughs) And, And 
of the Lord, like, I, you know, 15 years later, I feel like I'm ready for another try. You know, I'm, I'm like, I know, I know last time I left, you know, and now forever, this is how the, the story goes. I came in your hour of visitation and you left. And I, I sometimes just rehearse the plan. Like, fall on your face, say, here am I, Lord. Like, respond. Respond to the presence of God. So if I was Blake, you guys would just be, I would just be running like a crazy person everywhere. Like, where do I go? Oh, no. <laughs> so all that to say, we all have our different strengths. <laughs> So, we should probably pray. <laughs> so, we, we're just so excited about you, Jesus. We're so excited about you, Jesus. And our heart says again, tell me the story of Jesus. Let me hear it again. Let, let me remember the way that you found me in the highway and in the byway. Let, let, me, let me just remember how I, I thought I was broken beyond repair. Like, tell us the story of Jesus, the way you swooped us out of, of the darkest night of our soul. You plucked us from our despair. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And, and we, just, we just put in full gaze that we are the people of the redeemed. Because our Redeemer lives. And, and we've come tonight to, to magnify, to make so much bigger than any lie than any circumstance, than any lack. We've come to magnify our Redeemer. We've come to make him so big and bright that we just can't help but surrender. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to look at a couple passages tonight, you guys. And the first one is in Mark 12. And we're going to start in verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and pay for a pretense, and, and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. And, you know, it's always just so hopeful hearing the way Jesus just gave such open feedback to the Pharisees. Like there was, there was no, you know, hidden wonder what he thought 
about the Pharisees. And it's just so helpful for us to get inside the mind of Christ and the way that he thinks. And, you know, the the heart of the problem that he's addressing here is that the Pharisees loved significance from the outside in. They, they loved a seat of honor at the table. They loved for people to be wowed by their spirituality. They, they loved everyone to see how much money they were giving and how spiritual they were. And, you know, the, the, the desire for significance is God-given. It's a beautiful, beautiful need in our heart. But getting it met from the outside in is like a lust that destroys our soul. It's never enough. It's never enough. If you got the head table on Friday, you're already stressed if you're going to get it on Saturday. Like there's, there's never enough honor when you're looking to fill a hole in your soul. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees got it backwards, thinking that, that the more people were impressed with who they are, the more significant they would feel. But, you know, significance, you know, the, the outside in need for significance holds the hand of performance. And we all know that performance is just such a stressful road. It's just so weary to the soul. And, you know, Jesus, Jesus came as the person of significance. He came to redeem our significance as sons and daughters of the living God. He, he was significant before he could do a thing. And, you know, the... They were, they were in the temple, and he was standing on the other side of the offering box, and he was just watching all of this religious activity, and nothing was moving the heart of Jesus. And then this widow comes up, and it, it says, a poor widow comes and put, puts in two small copper corn, coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And it moved the heart of Jesus. A penny. A penny moved the heart of Jesus. And what, you know, what greater feat than to know I have moved the heart of Jesus. <laughs> what else do you want to do with your life than move the heart of Jesus? You know, and and I, I this lady is famous as the penny lady, you know, and I, I she's gone down in our history of faith. She's a mother of faith because she gave a penny. <laughs> And, you know, sometimes I think I would, I would enjoy meeting her someday in heaven. Like, hello, I'm Jen. You're the penny lady, hero, you know. And I felt this thing in my soul, like, you probably wouldn't recognize her if you tried. And I, I guess I kind of picture her to look like a widow, you know, like very poor, ragged, in need, and 
frail. And this picture just popped up in my head of this, I mean, seaside, sitting in a chair, servers coming to give her a drink and one of those round coconuts like, like the magazines. I've never experienced it, but it always looks so luxurious. You know, the straw with the little thing coming up off top and... And she is not in lack. You know, if, if you are looking for a poor woman, you're not going to find her. And I, I, I felt corrected in that if I was sitting by the penny lady, knowing her story, I mean, what happened? How did she become a widow? There, there has to be pain embedded in that story. You know, my husband is my most favorite person in, in all of my life. And, oh. <laughs> you like that, ma'am? <laughs> See? Clearly. Clearly, you see why. And uh, there's like, you know, that's a devastated land navigating something like that. And I would have leaned over if she would have asked for my feedback, if, if I was her pastor. Thank the Lord I wasn't. I would have been like, honey, keep your penny. The Lord is wealthy. He's got cattle on a thousand hills. I would have started quoting all those scriptures. Like, he doesn't need your penny. Go buy, go buy a snack, and I'm going to make you some food, you know? And, I, you know, I, I, I've been so challenged looking at her life that she could have stood back like Jesus and watched the, the rich people, the significant people, the spiritual people giving tons of money, tons of money. And she could have looked at her penny and said, this is nothing. This is nothing. This is insignificant. <laughs> and, you know, comparison, when we start looking around to see the worth of what we're offering as worship, it steals the wonder of a Jesus who's moved by a penny. And even in revival culture, sometimes, you know, it's a beautiful thing to feed our soul with testimony. It's a beautiful thing to see what we have through inheritance. But, you know, when we start feeling insignificant because of what others are doing and what others are accomplishing, we, we are at risk of becoming one of those Pharisees that need a seat at the table, that need a long robe and a pretty prayer. And, you know, I look at like, like Smith Wigglesworth. You guys ever heard that story where he went to a funeral and an old man had died and he threw him up against the wall? I mean, I am embarrassed for him. That, that is also the feedback I would have gave Smith Wigglesworth. So praise the Lord, I'm not his pastor either. I'd be like, no, that is somebody's grandfather. Somebody knows the smell of that man's living neck. Somebody sat on his lap and he read them stories and sang them songs. You're not gonna throw that guy against the wall. And he, he throws 
something commands life into him, he slides down the wall. He is still dead. At that point, I, I would have left. I would have been like, I, am no, I have to move. I, I, I would have relocated. And he does it a second time. And the grandfather of the people in the room slides down the wall. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so stressful. A third time, he picks him up, throws him across uh, against the wall and says, live in Jesus' name. And he pops out back to life. And then he's a hero. You know, that is a long process to become a hero. Who, what kind of people pay that kind of price? What, what kind of people are crazy enough to do it the first time, the second time, the third time? Like that is ridiculous faith. That is ridiculous courage. And that is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that is living and breathing inside of us in this very moment. Okay. When I look at that in my life, <laughs> I'm like, I hand out like 452 snacks before noon. Before noon. That is a normal day in my life. I am not throwing people against walls when I'm in self-control. <laughs> and having them pop back into life. Man, but that's what we're born for, to manifest the nature of Jesus. And you know what? The thief wants to come and steal and kill and destroy is your penny, is your little life. <laughs> that, that we actually have a king who wants your penny. We actually have a Jesus who is moved by the littlest place in your life. And, and where could we grow beyond moving Jesus? And, you know, he came as a bridegroom looking for a bride. John the Baptist said, I, my joy is complete. It's not, you know, that word complete means there is nothing left wanting in me. His joy was full because he heard the sound. He heard the voice of a bridegroom next to his bride. And, and Jesus didn't walk the earth as a distant God rescuing strangers. He didn't walk the earth as a brilliant leader gathering a crowd. He wasn't um, a military general looking for an army. He was the sound of a bridegroom looking for a bride. And, you know, this, this story is a picture of a, of a woman reconciled to her bridegroom. And, and she came forward, and she dropped that penny as an offering, and it shouted, I am not poor. My God is my husband. Maybe she knew the prophecy in Isaiah that says your maker is your husband. <laughs> I, you know, she gave the last of her ability to sustain herself. And she was making a statement that said, I give up the ability to sustain myself. I give up the last of 
I, you know, I have an intimate companion. I, I am not in lack. I am, I am a bride. I am a wildly loved wife. And, you know, this word poverty is the same word when Jesus was up on that mountain saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. For they will inherit the kingdom of God. And it's, it's like ridiculous needy. <laughs> and the way we get into the kingdom, the way you inherited the kingdom is the way we sustain life lived in the kingdom. We, we learn to live poor without him. In the soul. That I love to be poor without Jesus. And I'm on a mission how much of my life can I sustain without my bridegroom king? I want to be over without Jesus. And, you know, he told me recently, you know, I have not called you to create a life that you can sustain in your great strength. I have called you to create a life that needs a God of great strength. <laughs> and, you know, this, this is crazy because he said she gave more than all the others combined because they gave out of their abundance. And, and this, is, this is the same Jesus that said, I came to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. He came to, to set us free from lack, that we would be the people. You know, my life goal is to be this overflowing cup. You know, this is, this is how we live before people. We live as the beloved bride of Christ. We live with the ridiculous provision of an inexhaustible God, that, that we are the people of more than enough walking the earth. That I, I want to always have my cup just full enough, but I'm just like wobbling little bit tipsy because I am so full of hope that it just accidentally spills out. And I'm, I'm so full of faith that I don't even have to try. It just, it just spills out as I'm just wobbling through life. And, and we are so full of limitless resource that we're showing the world what it means to walk arm in arm with this ridiculously wonderful bridegroom. That we, are, we have more than enough resource. We have more than enough provision, more than enough love. That there's nothing we need to hold on to because of a fear of lack. And, you know, before the world, that's how we live. But before Jesus, we bring a penny. We, we bring... We, we bring the whole of what's left in our capacity to sustain ourselves. And, you know, David, he, he in the Psalms, I was reading the Passion Translation the other day, and it says, you don't need my goodness, for I have none apart from you. <laughs> ah, man, you are my goodness. And, you know, this, this is the call of the gospel, that, that we would see 
that our significance is in the heart of Jesus, that you move him and he, he wants your penny. And, you know, I'm on this mission of how do we live an abundant life and, and remain the type of person that values the, the penny in our life? And as, as I've just been reading the word a, a little while ago in, in Matthew, I found this guy <laughs> that just moved me so deeply. You guys can turn there. Matthew 27, if you want to. Uh, 2757. And, um, you know, Jesus had just been crucified. And it says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arithmia named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And so <clears throat> there is a rich man who was still rich and had been following Jesus. In another one of the Gospels, it says that he was one that was looking for the kingdom. And he found the king. <laughs> and he had been following Jesus. And, and, you know, we have other stories where Jesus looks at a rich man and says, go sell everything you have and follow me. And apparently Joseph was never asked to go sell everything he owned because he was still a rich man. And, you know, he, he is an example of money wasn't he wasn't following money money was following him he wasn't chasing after resources resources were chasing after him and he 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 went to pilate and asked for the body of jesus and pilate ordered it to be given to him and joseph took the body and he had a tomb and these tombs were extremely expensive. And it, it's like the equivalent of Mary pouring out that crazy expensive perfume at the feet of Jesus. Like it was, it was um, only the rich had brand new tombs. And he had stewarded wealth to care for the body of Jesus. And, you know, the culturally... If a criminal was crucified, it was common that their body would just be left to be devoured by wild animals. And Joseph was able to say, not on my watch. He, he was able to literally care for the body of Christ. And, you know, it says he took his body and... I, I had just never went through the process of somebody had to be the one to take down the body of Christ from the tree. And all his friends had left him. He knew they were going to leave before he was crucified. He said, the time has come that you all are going to be scattered and leave me alone. But I am not alone for the Father is with me. And, you know, 
Joseph stood before the crucified body of his friend. This was the one he had voluntarily left to follow him, you know? And he was a man of influence. And he stood in front of the battered body of Jesus and had to take him down from the tree. And he had to be the one to pull the nails out of the feet of Jesus, the feet of mercy, that person after person had fallen all over and was set free. And now they, they hung there lifeless. And he had to kneel down in a pile of the blood of Jesus and remove his feet from the tree. And then he had to go up and unhook the hand of Jesus, the right, the left, he had to take off the throne, the, the crown of thorns from his head. And the body of Jesus was draped over Joseph. He had to carry him from the cross to the tomb. And he, he is the first man to be covered in the blood of Jesus. And he, he carried next to his face the weight of glory. This is the weight of glory, a crucified Christ that, you know, it defeated forever that this was not personal, that this was just a broad blanket sacrifice, that Joseph felt the personal love of Christ. He, he looked into his blood-stained face and saw, you know, Grace is free, but it is not cheap. And you know, this is, this is why grace has a higher standard than the law. Because it was expensive. And until we kneel down in a pile of blood and get personal with the sacrifice of Jesus... We can end up being those Pharisees trying to find a place at the table. Because when our arms are so full with the weight of Jesus, there's, there is no room for pride. There is no room. There is no room for insecurity. There is no room for any lie because we are literally living under the weight of glory, under the weight of the body of Jesus. And this is where we pick up our cross and we follow him daily. And, you know, we learn to live a needy life through our Savior. Like, he was dependent on the Spirit of God to raise him back to life. He was dependent on the Father to raise him back to life. And we are wired to need him. We are wired to depend on him. And, you know, when, when we were broken and lonely, we didn't wish for more things. You know, in the darkest hour of your life, 
You didn't wish for a bigger house. When, when, when you weren't sure if you were going to make it through the night, you didn't crave having more stuff. You craved the fullness of life in your soul. And, and when we live valuing what truly makes us rich, all the wealth in the world piled on top can't contaminate. I'm alive. I'm alive. And, and we can be trusted with abundant life. That the wealth of our relationships can't sustain us. The, the, you know, our money can't sustain us. That there's nothing we can look around our life and say, that can keep me for the rest of time. But we can look at the bloodied body of Jesus and say, that is mine for the rest of time. And, you know, religion wants to push us around and say, pretend that you're worth that. Pretend, put on a long rope, say a pretty prayer, and pretend that you're worth that. And the gospel of Jesus kneeled down to the most worthless places of your life and said, she is mine. And, you know, I, I remember this one night of school, you know, a couple years ago. It was like towards the end of the year. And I was going to be giving like a last charge. And I just fell in love with those people. And I was just telling the Lord in worship, I just want to give them the best of me. I just want to release any gift you've put on my life. I thought, I, you know, I was in worship and I thought I was going to have like a download of an awesome revelation. <laughs> you know. <laughs> like freely you've received, freely give. And in a, in a moment, I saw Jesus point with like a super big smile on his face to one of the worst seasons of my life. I had been just making some terrible choices. It was painful and dark. And he was like, yeah, there you go. And my heart starts to race. I was going to be awesome. Like that, that was the plan. And, and I'm super confused. And, you know, when Jesus walked the earth, they literally said he has lost his senses. Like, he had a reputation of being a crazy person. So I'm always a little bit comforted when I can say you are crazy. Because I feel like I'm walking with the authentic Jesus, you know? And we, every once in a while, don't bump into crazy I get a little nervous if I, if I go too long without being confused, you know? And, and he says, you know, the place where my mercy has ran the deepest is, is, is the richest place you'll ever be able to give. The, the place where my grace has, has covered the worst of you is the best you have to give. And I, 
I just, I realized, you know, that there, there is in Zephaniah a verse that says, I will turn their shame into a fountain of renown in the earth. And your shame, the things that you would wish no one would ever know, the, the choices you made that you wish you never made, the, the weaknesses, the things that happened in the dark, it's those areas that are supposed to become a well of the renown of Christ. It's supposed to become a well of, there's hope for you. <laughs> There's an answer for you. There's blood that can go that deep. There's a redeemer that lives. There's mercy that can take care of that. There's love that can touch that. There's nothing that the broken body of Jesus can't repair. There's nothing that the weight of his glory can't defeat in your life. You can get intimate with his blood in the most shameful places of your life. And it will become a spring and a fountain of renown. That it's true. He says he is this and that's really the way that he is. It's not a lie. He's not a fairy tale. He's not a dream. Look at my life. And, you know, he... For so many years, I took so much comfort in knowing I've been hidden in Christ. You know, I love a good hiding place. And, and then I went into these seasons of, you should talk about that. Like, what? And, and, and then I realized it was a sly little trick. Because <laughs> Jesus is the light of the whole world. He is the brightest light. He is brighter than the sun. He is lighting up the whole world. And he took us and he put us inside that light. You are entirely visible. Like the whole world can see everything. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. Like there is no lamp in here. Like I have searched high and low. There's no bushel. There's no basket. It is bright. So bright. And this is our destiny that we would live with nothing to hide. And you know, I, I love to know I am driving the enemy crazy because those fig leaves aren't even tempting. You know, like when I know I am so naked, <laughs> I am like, I am naked, naked right now. <laughs> I am like naked, naked, naked. And, <laughs> and there is no shame because I'm covered in the blood of Christ. And, you know, the, this is where we don't get sloppy. <laughs> This is, where, this is where we are propelled into a life of holiness because we are holding the person of holiness. We are staring in the face the sacrifice of Jesus that gifted us holiness. And this is where we don't kick in to 
you know, performance and striving and a craving for significance. And that's why we do things that we do. This is where we are compelled because of the person of Jesus. What else would I want to do with my life but move your heart? What else would I want to do with my life but walk like you walked? You know, it's absolutely in our nature to want to be just like our Father. And that, you know, that isn't religion. That that isn't any of those weird labels. (laughs) That is in your new creation. I love to be holy like he's holy because it was a gift to my life. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about walking with Jesus is that it's our Redeemer ever by our side. And, you know, the the beauty of being the bride of Christ is that there, there is no dry wilderness when he is by our side. And, you know, in, in Song of Solomon, it says, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? <laughs> and she, listen, she's not leaning because she's got a broken hip. she's not leaning because she's wounded (laughs) she's not leaning because because she can't get anything right she is leaning because it's her beloved and and she is probably a little bit tipsy with love and she's probably a little bit like i don't i don't actually remember where i parked my car (laughs) I, I actually, I kind of don't care anymore about where we go or how we get there. I, I, I kind of, I kind of just don't care as long as you're there. <laughs> we can go wherever you want to go. Are you going to be there? Okay, I'm great. <laughs> and you know, for um, the wilderness in the Old Testament became famous. For the place the people of God were punished to wander. You remember that? That was a long time to walk around the same scenery and feel a little stressed for them. And, you know, Jesus hears the affirmation of his father. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Does that just make you want to come alive? Say it again. And then the Holy Spirit takes Jesus with the affirmation of the Father into the wilderness. And it is a statement. This is a punishment no longer. (laughs) He was unpunishable. He was perfect walking in the affirmation of his Father. And it, it, it was a statement. Your circumstances are a punishment no longer. Your dry land is a punishment no longer. What's going on in your life is not a message from your father. Jesus was in the wilderness. The perfect son of God was in the wilderness. The spring of everlasting life was in the wilderness. The fountain of joy, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the lamb of God was in the wilderness. And none of his identity was restricted in the wilderness. 
Jesus. And he is alive inside of you. So if you're in the wilderness, he is there too. And none of the nature of Jesus in your life is restricted by your circumstances. If you're thirsty, don't, don't look around the wilderness. Look inside where the person of Jesus is living and breathing, longing to erupt as your well of eternal life. If you are in lack, don't look around on the outside of your, of your life. Don't look for a table. Don't look for a promotion. Look inside at the unrestricted nature of Jesus that is making every wrong thing right so that we literally can can be the people that can be placed in the most darkest places on the planet and we come alive. That we can be placed in the most driest places on the planet and we're giving away water that's free. Nobody needs to be denied. And it's the well of Jesus erupting from our insides. The wilderness became a place, you know, there wasn't anyone to talk to there but the devil. The devil. Like that. No, nobody wants to talk to him when you're having a good day. You know? Nobody wants to talk to him if it's Christmas morning and you're sipping cocoa. Nobody wants to talk to him anywhere. And he's the only one in the wilderness. <laughs> and Jesus is having a conversation with the devil. How low does that go? You know... If you've gotten to such a low place that the devil is the only one to talk to you, Jesus has been there. Jesus has been there. <laughs> You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Why don't we all stand up on that note? <laughs> So we just thank you, Jesus, that there's never been a better season. There's never, there's never been a better moment in our life than to come alive. There's never been a better hour in our history than to watch the nature of Jesus bubble up and erupt on our insides. And so we just spread wide in the middle of all of this overgrown spaces and in any places of lack, in any places that feel dry, we open up and we say, I was brought here to come alive. I was brought here for the nature of Christ to overwhelm my insides. And so we just, we look to you. We look to you on this random day in September and we say, write it in your book, Jesus. Write it in your book that my people believed that what I said was true. Write it in your book that they lifted up their penny, that we reach down and grab the last of our ability to sustain ourselves. And we lifted it in worship. And we say, I'm actually a happy wife. I'm actually in love with losing the capacity to sustain me. I'm actually in love with being needy and dependent on my bridegroom. I'm actually in love with this God 
God who is my provider. There's nowhere else I would want to live. There's nowhere else I would want to be. So Jesus, here we are. Take our life. Here we are. Come and do and be whatever you want to do and be on our insides. We love you tonight. We love you tonight. We are looking to be the people on the earth that constantly have eternity in mind. We're, we're looking to have our heart in heaven. We're looking to have our reward in heaven. So whatever the cost, whatever the price, we're, we are happy to step up on the altar, Jesus. Here we are. There's no other agenda. There's nothing else we have in mind for our life. Let's just close with this one song. Turn your eyes That was beautiful. I love you guys. Bless you. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.